Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast of the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Marianne. I'm Andrew. I'm Graham. And this week we're taking a bit of a break from the usual format, this week and next week, to do a series or a couple of podcasts focusing on Japanese animation in the 250. Uh, because we had Graham and Marianne on last year talking about uh, your name. And we actually, we really, really enjoyed that episode. We thought it was great fun. We really enjoyed it. It sounds very well. We had great fun recording it. So what we did was, Graham asked us, uh, would we like to do something sort of semi-regularly where we talked about, like, animated Japanese films on the 250? And we said, yeah, we would love to do it. And uh, so we sort of suggested that maybe doing it in April would be a good idea. Anime April, if you will. Annual anime April. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> And I'm April, if you will. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I was, I was it's say, awesomely alliterative. I was Ooh. saying earlier, um, I, I, I think you said Anima April. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it sounded like a minor character in The Sopranos. But um, yeah, there's yeah. also another reason. I they laughed when I said it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> it killed. I was expecting them to pull. Like, <laughs> yeah. Was that you described? Put it as, in Yeah, news conference <laughs> chuckling. Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. Like press conference uh, chuckling. Yeah, Carson yeah. <laughs> Wagner says something funny. By the way, we're missing sports. Uh, which, just which, <laughs> which we and uh, well, I'll seeing as we just spent uh, an hour and a half watching. And, and, and anime like the, the the sports were more likely to be playing as like a live action role playing <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also so we've a, given up our Saturday yes, I'm yeah. literally going to Dungeons and Dragons after this <laughs> 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 it's really yeah. oh wow so that's, that's the tone of the podcast that's <laughs> <laughs> sort of where we're going well we did but we suggested that we try Graham suggested it and he suggested April I believe for reasons beyond the awesomely alliterative yes. appeal the Japanese Film Festival is happening in April. Happens every year in Dublin. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I think this year is its tenth anniversary. Okay. Yeah, I think Marion would be able to help. Uh, that's, a nice, that's a nice uh, throw, Marianne, under the ball. It's like I don't know the answer to this. But ninth or tenth year, and every year they have a fantastic run of films. Your name was last year's, and then we talked about it here. Uh, so I, I always look forward to April. I find it's it is anime month, kind of for Dublin. And I'm very. I'm sorry, the sorry, all of Ireland because they have it all over, like Cork, Wad, Galway. It's absolutely brilliant. That's not all over. <laughs> there are other places, but I the don't two want to Sligo name, men on the I podcast. I know, I, know, I, I know there are other places, but I don't want to name drop them in case I mix up counties because I have done that. Well, it's it's good that you expanded it beyond Dublin. Yeah, because it's got. Because I know Galway. That would have been beyond the pale. Be getting a the, lot. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> It's called the Eye Cinema in Galway. They mm. always they always have the same thing. They have like huge anime openings during um uh sorry uh, the the Japanese Film Festival, and Cork as well is also doing it. I know they've I know they've grown more counties, especially this year and last year. They've had more and more counties as the years have gone on. So it's I think that's just really great to have it. That it's a an Ireland wide Japanese celebration. So I can't wait. Cool. And what we did was we figured that for the first Anime April, which I just love saying, yeah. is it Anime April or Anime April or... I like Anime April. I like Anime April. Okay, Anime April it is then. <laughs> so I, I figured for the first Anime April, um, we had a bit of discussion amongst ourselves about what we wanted to do. And there were lots of suggestions, like Spirited Away, which was the highest ranked animated film on the list. Um, you know, not only the highest ranked Japanese animated film, the highest ranked animated film on the list. But what I discovered um, was that My Neighbor Totoro um, <laughs> was having its 30th anniversary this year. That's it was crazy. released in 1988. And so we decided that that would be one of the films we do. And then with literally, like, 
24 hours notice, I discovered that uh, not only was my neighbor Totoro having its 30th year anniversary, it was Grave of the Fireflies was having its 30th anniversary. So I suggested that we would do, we would watch the films in some way as they were originally released. Because when they were released in Japan in 1988, they were released as a double feature. And I thought that that might be an interesting way to do this, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of both films by watching both films. So this week we're going to be talking about Grave of the Fireflies. And next week we'll be talking about uh, My Neighbor Totoro. So, Grave of the Fireflies. How does everybody feel about that? <laughs> yeah, Dave. Well, Weatherford. Yeah, it was interesting. Of course, <laughs> of, of course, I had very strong opinions on the WhatsApp group about, about what movies we talked <laughs> about. We were covering. You wanted to wait until 2020. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like oh, Andrew's yeah. contribution was, I agree with this. <laughs> I can do this. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. Thumbs so, up emoji. Yeah, we, 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 we have we have we have six movies to get through and we want to spread it over three years. We have seven actually because Castle in the Sky is in and out at the moment. Oh yeah. So just a little bit of context in terms of <laughs> shaking heads for, 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 for the benefit of the listeners. Just quietly being like, I'm not gonna get into this debate right now. Is it because James Vanderbeek is the lead? I am no. not emotionally ready for this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's three years down the line we can have this fight yes. on this podcast. <laughs> I, Graham's going off to have a Rocky style training no, montage. No, 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 she doesn't like I'm not I don't have heavy feelings about it. I just like the fact that I think yeah, Mark Hamill is the villain in it. So like I'm kinda I mean he is a powerful villain. He's a powerful villain. <laughs> But uh, one of the things about this is that these two films uh, were the second and third, depending on how you consider their release cycle. Mm. Um, so they were, for example, the second and third films released by Studio Ghibli, because obviously Miyazaki had done Nausicaa and, and The Valley of the Wind, but that technically wasn't a Ghibli film, even though it included much of what many people come to consider, mm. like the stylistic sensibilities of Ghibli, involved many of the collaborators on which he'd work with later animation. It was actually Castle in the Sky was the first Studio Ghibli film, right? It's, it's funny, because uh, when I think of Ghibli, Nausicaa is, is technically the first one. In my eyes, at least. That's how I see it. It's Miyazaki's first one. It's an adaptation yeah. of his own yeah. manga, I believe, right? Yeah, and it is stylistically It's like, it's really, it's yeah. really, like... <laughs> no, it is. It's and, really his. And I mean, when you go in and you look at the Blu-ray packaging to, to mm. buy the, the copies of it, it's very much it's the exact same thing. But... Uh, it's, even the, it's even on the tick list. Like, because uh, I, I bought all the... I bought as many of the DVDs as, as I could. And there's a tick list in the, in the boxes. Gotta catch and, them all. And Nausicaa is considered the first one. Well, I mean, it's. I think it's because Miyazaki's brand is so associated with Ghibli mm. that, like, the fact that he set up Ghibli like after the fact, it sort of retroactively mm. became branded, yeah. right? And he set up Ghibli with. Uh, I, and I apologize. We're going to mangle a lot of names here, but Graham and Marianne are going to step in and heroically save the day. <laughs> this is a lot let's of see, pressure. Let's see whose names these are. <laughs> first. Um, but uh, like Ghibli. We tend to think of Ghibli, and I think Graham, we're talking with Graham off, off mic about this, but like you tend to think of Ghibli as Miyazaki, like as his studio, as his output or whatever. But he co-founded the studio with Isao Takahati, um, who directed uh, directed this film, Grave of the Fireflies. And what's in after um, after they did Castle in the Sky, which was a moderate success for them, yeah. they decided what they would do is they would release two films simultaneously. They would release uh, Grave of the Fireflies and they would release My Neighbor Totoro. My Neighbor Totoro is the Miyazaki one and is very clearly the Miyazaki one featuring a giant raccoon creature and a cat that is also a boss. 
Yeah. Um, it's but, Snorlax. Yeah. <laughs> he is the snor- He's the first Snorlax. From what I can see on the box. Yeah, no. <laughs> Knowing very little. <laughs> no, I, I showed it to, to my mother a week ago and she was like, yep, that's a Pokemon, right? Um, <laughs> I don't I feel like that may not be the most culturally sensitive comment that anybody's made about Japanese animation. Oh, it's a creature in uh, Japanese animation. It's a Pokemon, right? But I mean, he does look like the mega evolution of Snorlax. But... Uh, yeah, so they, they decided they released two films. Um, we'll talk about Totoro next week, and we'll probably talk about like what it's like to watch the two films back-to-back next week, uh, like many people did in the cinema. But like Grave of the Fireflies was one of the two films that they wanted to do, and it was the one that's directed by Isao Takahati, who I believe has only directed five films uh, with Ghibli, actually. He's not anywhere near as prolific as his business partner, Miyazaki. And his films aren't as well known outside Japan as, as Miyazaki's are. Like, to, to illustrate the point, for example, the 30th anniversary, this is the 30th anniversary of both Grave of the Fireflies and My Neighbor Totoro. And we'll talk about all the wonderful celebrations that My Neighbor Totoro is getting when we talk about Totoro. Yeah. But, like, Grave of the Fireflies is largely forgotten and overlooked, I think. It's I got a cult following, I would say. I wouldn't say it's overlooked, but obviously it just does not have the mass appeal no. of... <laughs> The, the giant raccoon tree spirit, you know? It's, it, yeah. <laughs> Less, like, sort of nostalgia and magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to merchandise this yeah. film. Yeah. Um, Super you know, hard. There is actually one tie-in piece of merchandising, but we'll talk about that when we get to the spoilers. I can zone. guess what that is. Okay, well, we'll go into the spoilers and we'll see if you're right about that. Uh, but I mean, like, because, like, Totoro is showing, it's showing in the Dublin Film Festival as part of a 30th anniversary sort of release. It got for its 25th anniversary, it got an all-star redubbing with like Elle Fanning and Dakota, Dakota Fanning and Tim Daly and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Grave of the Fireflies, the it only got released in the US in 1993. It was one of the last of the Ghibli films to get re-released on Blu-ray uh, when I think it was G-Kids or, or G-Studio or whatever, that when they bought the, the branding. Um, it doesn't, it hasn't been redubbed, it hasn't been like as remastered extensively. It's not as well known in the States as, as sort of, as Totoro is. And like, it's kind of interesting because I suspect a large part of that's down to the fact that this is not really a children's film and there's a, a kind of a preconception I know, in the States. Tons of children, yeah, there's a preconception in the States that like animation is for kids and I think that like. Yeah. The Miyazaki films. I mean, kind this, of... this is a kids' movie, but it's a very dark kids' movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would say this airs more towards. If, if you can say a lot of Ghibli airs towards Disney sometimes, this one airs maybe closer to Don Bluth animation. Sure. It treats it. It treats it. If, if the child is watching it, it treats them like adults. Yeah, and I would say there is also the preconception in Western countries where if a movie is about children, it is for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say that's not the case mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So. No, I can imagine this being a sort of a movie that generates a lot of controversy when you show it to children. Um, I'm wondering how many people went to the cinema to see this with young kids and were like, this is not what was promised at all. I wonder... It's not like it's... Like, <laughs> it, it, are we trying to say that it's suitable for adults? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's not like it's like, oh, you can't take your children to go see this because they'll be devastated emotionally. But adults is fine. Adults is fine. Because they won't have any reaction to this, what? presumably. Because <laughs> they um, are dead inside. Yeah, yeah. Is it just easier to deal with adults when they're... Because they don't throw tantrums and scream up and down the aisle and stuff. I, I, I mean, the the um, it's it's 
it, it's suitable for children if you if, if, if <laughs> you hate your children. No, if 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 you want your 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 children to to feel the kind of emotional impact of this That's movie, right. I, 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 I don't I don't know I don't know how how appropriate that is. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not. A Do parent. you want your children to understand war? Guess what? This this film. Yeah. Can we can we actually talk about this? Because this was my first time watching this. Now I'd mm. heard a lot about it beforehand, but like for you guys. One of the things that I've encountered in hearing people talk about it, like, just casually and, and sort of, like, you know, Twitter and, like, online reviews and stuff is that, like, Grave of the Fireflies is a movie that everybody should watch once. I've seen How it four you... times. I think this is my third time seeing it. I should not have watched it four times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every time it chips away a little bit more. Not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't love it you know as a film i think and i saw it when i was maybe 15 16 yeah i was probably the same and so i mean if we're talking about like for a value of children i guess <laughs> i was at the top end and it was obviously it is a very very tough watch you know Fair. it's 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 fairly unrelentingly Grim and well, sort of. I, 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 mean, I, 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 I would say it gets worse. I the am older not finished. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is unrelentingly grim in that the brief moments of respite you get yeah. because you have the setup from the start of you know the, you know where it's going. You know, you know it's not going to end well. So every time there's like these little moments of happiness, you're just like, oh no, oh no. It's it's <laughs> very it's very tough to watch, yeah. and I find the sort of unrelenting commentary around Grave of the Fireflies is, oh my God, it's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah, yes, it is very, very sad. But beyond that, I think it doesn't get a lot of analysis beyond, isn't it incredibly sad? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff to talk about in the spoiler zone. Because Graham mentioned that this is an anti-war film. I... Would I have would opinion. say anti-war film. I would say, do you want to understand war? If you're, if you're, if you like, if you're teaching history and the effects of war, I'd say this would be an excellent film in a way to I, show teenagers. I'm not entirely sure. I agree with that. I think that may be a very superficial reading, but we'll talk about that when we get to the. I'm a very superficial of- man. I'm not. There's nothing substance <laughs> up here. Um, but no, I, I, I think my brain. that it is interesting watching the movie how. I think because I'd heard so much about it, because I'd, I'd heard that, that same thing that Marianne's talking about, where it's like, yeah. this will devastate you, this will gut you, this will stick the fish knife in and yank the guts Wait, in. Wait, don't, don't, don't reveal nice. until nice. the spoiler nice. zone. Else <laughs> how, I, how I reacted to it, yeah? yeah? Okay, I won't reveal how I reacted to it emotionally. Um, but yeah. I, <laughs> Darren not is our, Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> We're building anticipation. Yeah. But like, so in terms of like, Graham and Marianne, who have a much better sort of, like, feeling for both Ghibli and for anime in general, and also, like, just in terms of, like, having watched more of these sort of films, being more familiar with, like, the body of work involved, how does this rank I haven't actually seen this movie before, oh, beforehand. Which, which neither of us have. Yeah, so this was... Have. Myself and, and Andrew were seeing it relatively blank. Like... Does it work well? It works as well on rewatch for you guys. Do you like it more? Do you like it less? And how does it fit in terms of like the overall animated sort of canon for you guys? I don't like it as much as I used to. The fourth time watching it, uh, surprisingly, I see a lot of the cracks. There's, it's not. There's a lot of, like technically, there's a lot of some. some there's some editing issues, and that's like how scenes go from scene to scene. For some people. Um, 
I think the beginning you might throw you off as to what's going on, uh, the aesthetic of when you see Setsuko and Seta uh, in various versions of themselves throughout time and that might confuse people depending on like if you completely understand. Uh, so I, I'm not sure. Um, I still love the story. If I'm being honest, some of the characters have not aged that well for me. Um, I find some of the characters have actually, because of the choice of voice acting, because it didn't get a remaster like Totoro did, some of it hasn't aged as well. I still like, I still love it. It's, but it that it's never going to be like it was that first time I saw it. It's never going to be as emotionally cutting uh, as it was because I went into it going, oh, brilliant! This is another Studio Ghibli film. I can't wait to see the kind of magic in that. Uh, that I, that's you know that 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 studio is known for. So when I first saw it, I was just completely surprised, turned upside down, because I didn't know what I was getting into. Going into it now, I can imagine people who've never seen it before might not like it as much as say back when I was like fifteen, when maybe Twitter wasn't as high and uh, people were talking nonstop about it. That's how I, that's how kind of I. Did Twitter like, exist when you're fifteen? I know you're younger than us. Not much though. <laughs> Um, Andrew's feeling old. No, it didn't. Twitter came around, I think, like, Bebo. when I was in college. She heard about it on Bebo. Yeah, yeah, oh, I didn't even hear on Bebo. Twitter's like, a I was... fairly recent thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but... It just feels like it's been around forever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not as good. But I mean, I don't know if you can really say that about every, any film, that on your fourth rewatch, will it be as good as that first as time? As it was the first time around. I mean, do you feel like you get more out of it, having rewatched it? Or do you feel like once is enough? Was once enough. Yeah, rewatching it, I've noticed different aspects of characters, and um, if I was talking, if if a younger version of me was talking about this film, he would probably say something completely different about the tone of it. Uh, I have a completely new understanding of, especially Setsuko and Seta. Seta in particular, actually, I have a completely new understanding of him as a person, and it's not for the better, in in my opinion. Mm. So that's kind of like how I feel about it. Interesting. Oh. Mm-hmm. How, how, how about, about you, Marianne? <laughs> um, I think I kind of have almost gone the opposite way where I it has less of an emotional impact on me than it originally did. But like as an example of the craft, I think it's excellent. Like I think when I first watched it and I had a sort of similar experience where it was one of the first animated movies I'd ever seen that was dealing with this very difficult subject matter, very head-on, with kind of no sugarcoating or, like, no sort of magical realism to kind of soften the <laughs> blows. A little magical it's realism. A little, magic. a little bit, but very little compared yeah. to, like, Ghibli's other yeah. outputs, you know. So I think I remember being sort of actively furious, because I was very upset, but also then very angry, <laughs> About how upset I was and kind of feeling that it was almost, um, you know, almost exploitative of, you know, kind of something very tragic. Like, it's like we've established this tragic thing that's going to happen. And now you're going to watch it in slow motion, slow motion. And that is I mean, it's in general, like from a content point of view, that's not a thing I go for in movies, Mm -hmm. you know, and I also do think. World War Two obviously is done a lot over so many genres that it's it, it's a tough sell for me. Having watched it like with quite a lot of distance, I do think it is still a very sad and beautifully told story and very beautifully paced. I think mm, yeah. So 
so yeah, now that I sort of, and I guess like, you know, it's a thing, something to be able to say about a movie that as a teenager, it made me actively angry <laughs> at how upset I was. <laughs> you know, that's certainly a, um, a reaction, but I, yeah, I have, I have difficulty with this one because I obviously don't want to undermine the subject matter. Mm. But at the same time, I do think if you're going to tell a very sad story about two very small children having a terrible time during the war. Yeah, it's like, give me something more than this is just terribly sad, you know? It is terribly sad. Devastatingly sad. I don't think, like, we're... Going what about you, Andrew? So, like, your, yeah. your initial response, like, just so, like, to... Are, are we going to say, say at what, what kind of we're telling people to do with this movie. Okay, well, that, well then I feel like, okay, before I, we unpack like, then. So, well, I, I, I suppose to answer your first question, yeah, yeah it, it was um, it was devastating um, to, 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 to watch it. For me, it kind of got away uh, with the kind of pulling the emotional heartstrings because <clears throat> it felt like... Um, the story of World War Two from the Japanese perspective is something that needs to be kind of told and told over again. Um, and 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 to 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 have that kind of emotional reaction to it, even though it was very kind of engineered that way, and it seemed appropriate, like to to to, to, to do like, it in this yeah, way. Yeah. To tell to tell a very sad story about. Um, a very, a very sad personal kind of well fictional but but very kind of intimate uh, our, our, we'll talk our, about this our, okay well i'm not aware of okay the, well there's going the, to be there may be tears in the spoiler matter. zone there may be um, um so for for oh no uh, <laughs> so it's okay it's fine day for it so all right then so so listeners but before I, we I, jump into the spoiler zone i guess the only thing left to ask is would you recommend that people go see it is it on your 250? And do you think it belongs on the top 250 movies of all time? So we'll start going around the room with Graham. Of course. Because um, <laughs> uh, it's so tough. Um, uh, uh, yes, I think it deserves to be in the top 250. What number is it on the top 250, if I can ask? I need to... Crucial. It's vitally crucial. As I noticed, well, the list changes all the time. It changes so all the time. I, um, Dar- uh, Darren does hold the, the numbers in his head. It is, it is funny, because <laughs> I would say, yes, I do need to see it. And as Darren said previously, a lot of people say, you need to see it at least it's once. It's number 57. 57. And 57 it's, constantly, is very high. it's constantly climbing as well. Like, it came in in January 2003. It sort of dropped out in January 2007. But since then, it's climbed dramatically, literally from number 250 took a big jump in early 2011 has been sort of crawling all the way up is that when Spirited Away was was that when the big Ghibli kind of like people start to really recognise Ghibli in the West yeah I guarantee you that's what it was Spirited Away was 2001 I believe okay then no uh, I don't know what it was then that did so. that um, so yeah I yeah it deserves that it deserves that that number is a little high for me uh, but yeah, I definitely say go see it because the first time will be an incredibly memorable time. Uh, re- but yeah, maybe not a happy memory, no, but a strong no, memory. No. Just so we're clear, because the way that you were pitching that, it's like it'll be a very you'll remember it deep inside and hold it, cherish it. There's a thing I could say. Yeah, <laughs> you will definitely remember this film. Like I, I still remember a lot of the imagery of this film. Yeah, because like, there it's there's a lot of striking imagery in this. Mm. All right, Andrew, what about yourself? 
Yeah, and I, 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 I think simple, simple movies like this about these sorts of um, topics, I, I find quite kind of effective and important. I, well, I mean, this was this was Ebert's argument about the film was that like animation. The great thing about animation is that it takes our world and it literally simplifies it. It removes yeah. an entire dimension and it makes the lines cleaner. And the contrast clearer as well. And I think that, yeah, I think that's a very effective way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, they could have even made it even more efficient by just making a podcast. But we can only aspire to, to every couple of minutes of that efficiency. With, yeah. with every now and then, Seth's going to go, Seta, Seta. <laughs> just like every couple of minutes. Yeah. Just in case yeah. the listener should never forget. Yeah, yeah. What, what it reminded me of was, um, I think it was, it was um, when the wind blows. The, um, I think it was like a Channel 4, um, um, it was an animated uh, feature. I think it was made by the same people who did like the snowman and that sort of thing. It was about an, an, an old couple. Raymond Briggs, yeah. Who've just survived um, like a, a, a nuclear attack, basically. Yeah. In, in the English countryside. In the English countryside. Yeah. And they're living in their, in their kind of like cottage and kind of protecting, trying to protect themselves from... The nuclear winter. Yeah. Well, and slowly kind of... The radiation obviously takes its toll. Yeah, yeah. Which, 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 which similarly was, was a very kind of like... It, like, like this, it was a slow pace, but not like a long movie. Because it mm. had a kind of a simple kind of a story to tell. And um, I felt in the same vein that this worked quite well for me. Yeah, it um, was 80 minutes long. Yeah, was when the exactly. Windows. So, like, this was, what, 90 minutes or so? Or 88 minutes. 88 minutes, like, I mean... The, it, the it's, back not, of... it's not the movie 88 Minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Al Pacino one, right? Yeah, Where he's got yeah. 88 minutes to live. Um, is that the one I'm thinking of? The I one think where it the is, college yes, professor yeah. has been poisoned. Yeah. Very different film. I think it's been on How Did This Get Made at some point. <laughs> yeah. Not the only Al Pacino movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Marianne, what about you then? Would you recommend people go see it? And do you think it belongs on the 250? Yeah, I... I agree with the opinions that have been previously <laughs> stated here. Um, I know I do actually really enjoyed that rewatch because enjoy. Yeah, and, <laughs> I know it's difficult to say. Um, really appreciated that rewatch. Let's do that. Um, I do think it deserves to be on the top fifty. I think it's a great example of what the medium can do with very very tough subject matter. I very much agree with Andrew's point that World War Two in Japan and also World War Two kind of a microcosm from the civilians on the ground, their perspective, just the really mundane day to day hardships that don't come with any heroism or any uh, kind of even like sort of perverse glory. I think that's a story that's maybe not told as often as it should be. And I think this is just a really great confluence of those two things coming together. Cool. All right, then. With that in mind, then, you what can... What about yourself, Darren? Yeah, we, Darren? I thought we were waiting for the spoiler sound, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll... All Darren just belongs on the 250. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs> but with, with that in mind, then, you can go off and you can watch uh, Grave of the Fireflies. If you want to watch it with a double bill, my neighbour Tortora will be covering that next week as well. But if you want to watch Grave of the Fireflies, you can join us immediately after the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone! So, Graham, yeah. what is Grave of the Fireflies about for you? Oh, uh, I've been thinking about this, and I've actually realised I've been thinking about this for maybe since the last time I saw it, which was years ago. 
See, um, this is why it's good you're a recurring guest, because yeah, you know um, this question's coming. I honestly think that, and people might completely disagree with me, because uh, it's a weird kind of idea, is I believe that The Grave of the Fireflies is about the destructive nature of pride. I think um, pro- the, the, the whole fact that if you are too enveloped in your own pride, and too enveloped in um, the nature of what you've been taught, and that is that it can destroy your life. Uh, and that's kind of how I feel because obviously we see the film through the eyes of Sata. That's what it always has kind of been to me. It's not been about the world war or that. It's been about these two people and how they deal with the situation they've been put into and how his actions lead to yeah we're in the zone so leads to their their debts their debts yeah because yeah. it does if you look back at it and because I've seen it so many times now I can I pinpoint it every time what decisions he yeah. made. That basically led to their deaths. Well, I mean, there's a literal moment where one of the characters points out that he needs to swallow his pride and go back to yeah, the ant that yeah. he hates. Yeah, the farmer. Uh, the farmer. It's, yeah. it's it's also the kind of estrangement that um, you, you that has 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 happened on on the doing of 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 this child of this teenager. It's a kind of estrangement that um, uh, adults. Should really feel comfortable with just kind of like stopping and saying, "I can see that you're being very stubborn about this, but um, you're you're I insist that you yeah yeah Yeah. the decision is not yours yeah you're 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 to come home immediately or we'll well this is one call the police on you or something yeah but not that the police will actually be any use (laughs) no there'll be no use but I mean there there are several things about this I mean first of all like you say this isn't related to the Second World War I I think I would argue that it is in the sense that like Japanese culture a lot of the pride that uh, Sata feels it's tied up microcosm yeah it's tied up in militarism right so he's his father is in the navy and he's really proud and he's convinced that his father's coming home and like even his aunt is very tied up in this idea of like the privileges that they're afforded as a family she continually states isn't it great that you're a navy yeah she says a navy she might as well just say navy Navy brat yeah because the truck brings her stuff and and yeah soldiers get the best things but like he's seen for example he's reading books with like soldiers on the front he's imagining his father's ship pulling into harbour there's like a bit during the horribly sad the child is now dead montage at the end uh, where is it Suzuki how do you pronounce it? Satsuka Satsuko has a little bowl on her head and is saluting yeah. in sort of like a parody of like the armed services there's all this sort of like there's this weird recurring theme where like Seta seems to have like internalized the idea of like military and imperial Japan yeah. where it's like you know the man is strong and he doesn't need any sort of external help he stands alone in the world with nothing but his will to guide him and that will be enough and then obviously suffers the horrible consequences no no coincidence that like the death comes immediately after the surrender of Japan when his yeah. faith is completely broken like when his his belief in the institution like basically Japan has been humbled like the, the, they make a point of mentioning the surrender is unconditional and the navy's been sunk and then he goes home and discovers his sister on the verge of death dying and you get the sense that like this is what what that folly has been like i think there is very much a strong piece of like anti-war world war Two mm. sort of pride tied up in that i think it's also the fact that in one way the like the war the bombings are having a very immediate physical impact on their lives but in another way the war ends and he doesn't even know. Yeah, he, do- yeah. he, does- he doesn't discover until he overhears someone saying it in the bank. And in that sense, it's this very 
so, and then obviously it's implied that he actually dies then yeah. much later. Uh, well, maybe not much later, but I mean, he dies after the war is technically over. In, is in, technically in the, in the over. Right. So in one way, it's kind of sort of making the point that all this pride and all this... Uh, Sort of, uh, yeah, something that he once felt for his nation is irrelevant to yeah, yeah. his his ultimate demise. And like I said, it's so inglorious, his death, yeah, ultimately. Sure. It's really nothing to do with any kind of like abstract image of war that he's been holding on to. And, and like he's completely alone, but amongst a collection of war orphans who are also yeah. in the same situation, uh, situation also slowly dying. Because they they too have be, have have been left, with and all parents. all the people do is come in and pick up the dead bodies. Like there is a sense that like the state, like as much as as Seta is to blame, and Seta is very much to blame. Yeah, like yes. there's a recurring sense that he should really just swallow his pride and live with home. live with his horrible aunt, who is horrible. Who is horrible? Um, to be absolutely clear, but that like it's better than being a homeless person and having your sister get malnutrition and scurvy, for example. Yeah. Sure, but I think I mean there's a lot of like Seta is to blame, and he should have swallowed his pride. He's a child. Exactly. I mean, I don't know what age we're so like. I mean, it's a bit ambiguous. Fourteen, fifteen. I would say even like twelve, thirteen. Like he is a child, and Mm. I think sort of say and like obviously we see him in the position of an adult for most of the movie because for most of the film he's taking care of his toddler-aged sister and his mother as well. But yeah, but expecting him to have that kind of like presence of mind and the ability to take the high road is a huge ask of a young barely teenage boy I think yeah that's why I've always found it when I first saw it I always blamed the ant when I first saw it when I was a teenager and the second time uh, a few years after that I always blamed the ant but then the third time I was maybe in my 20s and I was like oh god it's him there's a huge well that's when you become an adult and become stupid kids I don't know if it has to be so binary I, yeah. I think I think he he's um, he's guilty of of being uh, prideful, but more more so he's guilty of being a child. Mm-hmm. So the the um, the the well, there's which, a clear sense which, that society has failed him. Like all yeah. the adults are completely useless in the film. I mean, even the the closest thing to an ally that he discovers when he's home is the police officer, yeah. who like basically tells the farmer off for beating him to within an inch of his life, but then does absolutely nothing to hey, help hey, hey, him. No. Asks him if he wants some water. Does absolutely nothing oh, yeah. <laughs> to help him. But th- there is like there is this sense that the adults have in many ways sort of failed. And there's like this I, is. I like. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I li- I, I liked as well the kind of. Um, it felt like there was a bit of a visual motif between the his remembrance of the navy kind of um, parade parade mm-hmm. where 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 they're all the kind of uh, searchlights in the sky and. And the the um, the ships kind of all in in formation. Versus when 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 there's an uh, an air raid. Yeah, the and, lights up. Yeah, in the sky. all the lights like, in the sky. Even the, his torchlight. Yeah, in. even his torchlight. For yeah. example, like it's very much playing at being a, a soldier. Yeah. So it's but, the kind of two sides of of the one coin with that glorification and and the thing you're glorifying is 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 a force of devastation. Yeah. Well, I mean, like there there is this recurring motif throughout the film of the fireflies which are simultaneously treated as a metaphor for the fire bombs that are being dropped 
in that they look like that you see the red bombs dropping over this you know the city and it looks like mm. the fireflies and then later on as well they're compared to the kamikaze pilots as well so you have this idea of like being so tied up in this idea of like of war and militarization and stuff that is weird but like what made me feel a little uncomfortable watching this right is that um We'll talk a bit about the source novel because the source novel is is really devastating and it's somehow even sadder um, than the film that we've watched, right? Because this was it was a novella that was written by uh, Akio Nozaka, um, who was a remarkable uh, Japanese sort of public figure in that he was he came to prominence in 1964 and he wrote the book The Pornographers. He published a literary magazine that got caught up in decency trials. He ran for the diet um, strictly on the platform of overturning these accusations of, of uh, obscenity against him. Priorities. He then in his in his later life became a ballad singer, a Japanese ballad <laughs> singer as well. He's a remarkable uh, public figure. Uh, and he wrote this. And actually, it's interesting when we talk about like how Grave of the Fireflies and Totoro were released back to back and released as a double feature and how everybody remembers Totoro. When they were releasing the films, it was seen that Grave of the Fireflies would be the film that would prop up Totoro. Mm. Because A, it was an educational film. They thought that Japanese schools would take children to go see it, uh, to learn about the Second World War. And B, the Grave of the Fireflies, the novel on which it was based, uh, was a bestseller as well, so it had name reputation. So it's very much seen as this was the film that was propping it up. But one of the interesting things about the film, and this is one of those like great death of the author situations, is that Isaiah Takahashi, who directed and wrote it, basically the auteur behind the film adaptation, has repeatedly in interviews stressed that this is not an anti-war film. And what he is... Now, keep in mind that himself and Maizaki are basically... From what I've read, they seem to be old hippies. Like they both signed, um, they've signed like releases and sort of letters and sort of like, uh, you know, sort of uh, campaigns. They've contributed to campaigns for the preservation of, I think, Article 9 of the Japanese Constitution, which is the one that says Japan can never use war as, or can never use the threat of action against other nations, while, you know, current hawkish politicians have been like uh, campaigning for Japanese militarization and stuff. So they're not. They're not hawks. They're, they are pacifists and they are liberal. Um, but I think when when, Taka, when Takahata talks about the film, he talks about it in many ways representing, and, and this is something that I think is a difference between, it's been discussed as a difference between how Western audiences see the film versus Japanese audiences see the film, where Western audiences tend to look at the film and see Seta's act of rebellion and self-determination in a very romantic sense. Mm. Uh, Japanese audiences tend to look at his act of rebellion as like breaking social norms, as like going against like the established social order of things. And like watching the film, I couldn't get that image out of my head because there's a bit where like even when himself and his sister are eating rice and she's like, don't do that. It's bad manners. He's like, we can eat however the hell we want. Yeah, because sitting. Sitting yeah. down. And there's a sense that, like, and there's a bit earlier on where when the family are gathering, like, salt and they look out and they see the two children playing on the sand as if, what the hell are these kids doing? Like, there's a weird sense watching the film that it's, it's very judgmental towards, like, Sace's refusal to basically keep his head down and carry on. Yeah, or to, or to contribute, yeah. kind of, in any way. Because it, yeah. it, 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 he's... Um, everyone's kind of going off to work and doing things. I mean, he, he is, he is looking after um, his, his sister. sister. Yeah. Um, but there's a kind of an expectation 
for for him to 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 do a day's work and most of what we see is him kind of loafing around, around. Yeah. yeah well i mean there's there's even like there's the scene early in the film very early in the film in the introductory sequence where the the town is is firebombed uh, for the first time and he's running with his sister on his back and now obviously his mother goes to the shelter and i like i don't know i assume the expectation is that he doesn't go to the shelter because he's expected to be able to help or he's expected to be able to do things so you get the the shot after the first bombs fall after the fires start you get the camera focusing on the ladder on the bucket on the well as if to say these are the things that you need in order to protect your home you can use the bucket the ladder and the well in order to fight the fires or put out the fires that are spreading. And he has this moment where he sort of looks at them and then runs away. And like, I think that's a perfectly rational reaction when your world is on fire around you. But I wonder if the film was trying to say that he should have been trying to fight the fires. Because there's a moment later well, on... It would have been futile, what? I mean, as, as we find out. But, then but you I see suppose the, in that moment it wasn't. But, but then I'm, you see the guy later but, on in the scene that is like saying, he's basically like saying the Japan, Japan will win and America and you know mm-hmm. America will fail. Like he's literally standing in front of all the blazes. Oh, hail the emperor, yeah. yeah. And, the, and he's like, he's saying all this in clear like support of the troops while condemning the but, enemy. But there's the moment where like a Seta finds the shelter, right? And you hear the voiceover of his aunt saying, heading to the shelter again, Seto? Aren't you, you're, sorry, you're old enough to fight the fires, aren't you? Mm. Question mark, as if to say, like this is linked to the shelter where his sister will die. This is the introductory shot of the shelter where his sister will die. And the film is basically saying, well, look, you should man up and like contribute, right? Um, and there's, I wonder if that's something the film is, that's kind of what, the film made me a little bit uncomfortable watching it. And that's sort of why, because it seemed to be suggesting that like, in some ways it isn't so much that like, Seta failed because of like his, his nationalist pride. It, Seta failed because he failed to contribute. It, it, like, there's a sense that watching the film, I don't know, maybe that's... No, there is a sense of, there is a sense that's, because he doesn't do, he doesn't technically do anything. At points, actually, you might say he's being punished because at one point he steals, at several points he steals, and then tries to sell back the items that he steals he, to the very people maybe he has stolen he from. He has three grand. He has yeah. three grand in an account that he doesn't withdraw until well, it's Well, as far as during wartime, money is of no use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like during wartime, money is of no use. It's rations. You can't buy rations. It's about, like, am, am, am I wrong in that? Well, yeah. the, far, the farmer does say, I can't sell you anything. Yeah, because he can't. But the fact that he right. waits so long to take the money out always... Oh, like, so I thought it was 7000 at the beginning. It's 7000 at the beginning, and then he takes an oh, extra 3000 yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, I can't remember what my point was. <laughs> I, but I think it was about this idea that you were getting at, that, like, I mean, that the film is somewhat ambivalent about what Seda should or shouldn't have done. But also, I think that's kind of the wrong like questioning his choices are kind of the wrong line of inquiry i think there's an inevitability to the film that it's like and it because it's set out right from the start it's like these kids die this mm, yeah. it's just about how they get there you know and it's sort of a question of is he gonna like die fighting a fire or just like being out in a field when a bomb hits or whatever like i don't think there was any the film leaves room for like, oh, there's a way this could have all been avoided if only this kid had better made better choices. It's a war. You know, this is mm. like, 
children lose their parents and die in war. But I think the tragedy of the film is that his entire world becomes taking care of his sister and his kind of tragedy as a character is like he's lost his mother i think he knows long before he realized he knows his father before he admits back. it yeah. like and he, even though he's put like all his hope for the future in this figure of his father um i so i think the tragedy is that his whole world becomes his little sister and yeah. focused on like if i can just keep her alive i've succeeded uh, i've succeeded or it's going to be okay and you know, I've bucked the system. I've gotten away from my horrible aunt. I'm going to prove that, I, like, this one thing I can do. And then he fails. And, like, that's what I think the movie is about. Like, I don't think there's a way, there's an alternate timeline in which they survive. <laughs> you no. know, so. I, did, I think there would be if he maybe had gone back to his aunt. I know we don't know what happens to the aunt. But I think if he had gone back to the aunt, and this is only because... I wanted them to survive so oh. badly. That's kind of what I would have, have thought. I was like, maybe there is an ultra time where he's with that horrible end, but then he, and then the like, war's over, and then he gets out. But there, there's also like just the the sense like when you with the book ending of the film. So at, when he dies, right? Because first of all, it shows you his death first. It shows you his yeah. death first. But the reason I love Takahashi's justification for this, right? Which is. It's traumatizing for an audience to see the lives of two happy people deteriorate over time until they die tragically. Mm. However, if an audience knows at the beginning of the film that the two will eventually die, they are more prepared to watch the film in the first place. I try to lessen an audience's pain by revealing everything at the beginning. Do, do you want to know a fun, fun, fun story? <laughs> fun, 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 fun story. In inverted commas. Uh, when, I saw, <laughs> yeah, when I first saw this film, I didn't understand what that meant. When I first saw it, and you know when he's in the yeah. thing, I was like, okay, so this is a flashback of how he gets to this point. Okay, grand. So all the scenes where he's in red and he's sitting down with his sister and on the train. Okay, so this is him just like kind of traveling back, kind of like remembrance. It's, it's a remembrance, yeah. So I was watching the film, and then and then the, and then she, and then uh, Setsuko dies. Like, oh, and then it gets to the final scene where he's like sitting with her and they were watching that, and just and that's when it all dawned on me. And the first time I saw it, it devastated me because like I started rewinding it back in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh God, he actually died at the start of the film. This is all me just seeing him how he dies. This wasn't a, oh, oh. And then literally, like I, I still remember to this day, I broke down in tears realizing what had happened because at that time I was far stupider. So I saw the, when I saw the film, I'm like, oh God, no, they're already dead. It was, I, like, I like that Graham had like a sixth sense moment watching Grave of the Fireflies. I see dead people. Kind of six-year-old moment. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was nuts. But I think that's, remember, when it ended and I was so convinced that you go back to the train station at the end, yeah. which obviously you don't, but I think it's because the it feels like a bookend. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. and you, the circle feels so complete even though they don't complete it with, like, a shot sure, of the train station sure, at the, the end. The final, scene, the final scene is their ghosts looking over what looks like a modern, it is a modern, yeah. it's a modern city. Like, I mean, yeah. and Takahadi's talked about this, right? Because yeah. one of the things for him that the movie's about, and this is one of those great, like, death of the author moments, right? Which is, like, Ray Bradbury famously... Is it Ray Bradbury famously arguing that Fahrenheit 451 yeah. is not about censorship? It is, Ray Bradbury. Um, he argues that it's about television corrupting young minds. Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's <laughs> not a good reading of your own work, but you're entitled <laughs> to that opinion. Um, and there's a sense that, that Takahati has talked about how, for him... 
Grave of the Fireflies is about the younger generation losing touch with like the suffering and sacrifices of the older generation. So, for example, there is an avenue if you see but, that. No, well, you have it there. Like after the war is over, when like the teenage girls come back and they're all celebrating, yeah. they run upstairs and they completely ignore like the suffering just on their doorstep. The yeah, they literally just run upstairs and party. And like, there's a sense that they're not so much like people coming back to the, the prefecture in 1945, they're like modern, like yeah. Japanese kids. Like he's argued that he doesn't like modern 20 year old Japanese kids feeling disconnected from the past and from their elders. And you have, that's why I think you get the final shot of the two of them on the bench overlooking the city with all the glowing fireflies. The fireflies having been tied to the suffering of the Second yeah. World War. So the kamikaze pilots and the bombs yeah, being dropped by us. Yeah, no, it's like a kamikaze. Yeah, it's like well, a firefly. No, no, uh, uh, Seiza even says, oh, look, it's a kamikaze. Yeah, he but that at one point. It's kind no, of he, he does say it's like a kamikaze, but he says, and she says, like a firefly. So you get that yeah. connection there as well. Just in case you miss, <laughs> yeah, just in case. Yeah, I, I, I think um, there is, there is uh, obviously this is a very kind of uh, emotionally affecting movie, but I, I, I don't know how bleak it is because I think there, there is, there is, there is, there is a kind of a um, belief in it in in an afterlife. Yeah, yeah, in 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 this kind of reunion of yeah. of, of the two. Plus, plus with, 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 within within compared to Kurosawa's view of the afterlife, this is yeah. quite rosy. Within within as well, their gradual kind of um, deterioration and death. There is a kind of like a. Huckleberry Finn quality to it, at least at the beginning, oh, where they make swings and yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, and um, well, that's is that kind of But that that romanticization always seems really bitter to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it compounds it, right? Yeah. Because it just really emphasizes like these are children playing at surviving and yeah. have no idea what the yeah. scale of this is yeah. surviving during this time where a lot of adults aren't going to survive and they're on their own and i mean yeah it's very beautiful and i mean i think that beautiful sequence after setsuko dies and you just have shot after shot of her playing in mm. this campground presumably while Seda's off like looking for food or whatever and she's just by herself running around in a sheesh like mm, you know swinging. it's um and there's and one of the moments is where she's crouched by the water, and I'm pretty sure she's praying. She's doing this motion. No, she's playing. She's doing rock paper scissors with herself. But this is also that hand motion is also yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A, a prayer motion. But you see the hand. She goes. Nope. You you can't see this on the podcast, but, but Graham is making rock paper scissors noises, and I am with Marianne as her hands together and saying that. But then that's another the, the perils of an audio only medium top quality that's, content that's, that's what I love about the fact is that people can take like several different points of view of what sure. it could be. Is it, is it bittersweet or is it just childhood? But the, my point is that she spends, obviously spent like her final days in this campsite just mm. playing as a child sort of like completely unaware of her own impending death. It's, Making I mean, rice balls out of rocks. Yeah, it's... Ugh. It's very beautiful and sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's more sad, I think, than beautiful. I would. Argue. I don't know. I think I, I really agree with Marion with the uh, when she's got the sheet over. I I can't stop smiling. Where she's just, running around, she's just running yeah. around. It's oh, just like that's I, just beautiful. Uh, Sasuko is so adorable in this yes. movie. It really, um, and I, I I know um, that is like a, a, a exploitative. It's a trap, Andrew. How? Um, oh, by the way, we have to get to you, Darren. <laughs> I I would just like to say before <laughs> before finding out whether whether Darren has has a heart whether he has a soul which we do every I, week now I, w- 
I, I will say Darren does have a heart. He does have a soul. <laughs> Darren, Darren is a very kind, gentle, um, why, why generous feel, person. Why do I feel like Beta um, in that episode talk. of The Next Generation where they're, <laughs> where, where they're where like, we're is he a testimonial of, of why you shouldn't be scrapped like for military use? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I really do feel like there's some sort of like jury sitting in on this. Like, <laughs> no, no, but genuinely, we 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 love Darren. We joke, but um, we just here. We, 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 we have we have what? a. We, <laughs> I never agreed to that. We have a lot of fun on the podcast, but seriously. Um, but yeah, no, you were saying about the running around with the with the sheet and stuff, Andrew. Was I? Well, that's, that's, I where, saying that's, that's where Graham went, and then you and then jumped you in, and then you no, started no, accusing I mean, me of I mean, not I mean, having I mean, a heart. I didn't. That's the opposite of what I did. I, I, I said we're 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 going to find out by the standards of the podcast whether you have a, a, a heart or not. But to to be clear, you do. I, I feel like I feel like the medical care on this podcast is as good as the doctor in Grave of the Fireflies, where he's like, "Yep." Yeah, Malnutrition. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, yeah. You gotta treat that doctor. Maybe help a little bit. It's like just feed her good food, oh, which yeah. doesn't. Oh yeah, exist. that's all we need. All these things you're saying, Darren, I'm going to distract from. Yeah, we're not the real ask. question. I mean, that. look, Grave of the Fireflies is the I would say seminal movie of like, did this make you cry? You know, it's the litmus test for how affected you are. So I didn't. <laughs> I, I welled up once or twice it's, it, it's the same thing with like Coco I knew it was coming so there were points where like Seta is talking and I'm like oh god she's just sorry it's not Seta Setsuko and it's just like oh god she's just so goddamn cute and she I, doesn't know what's coming I want you, that, of course she doesn't know what's coming she's a child is it that you had a cry before we all got here yeah and, and yeah, got it out, out of my system you realised okay. you bought all these big that's, goods and you knew you couldn't have them all that's why I didn't yeah, I didn't hydrate before the, the uh, film because I knew it was coming no I like I appreciate it. I think it's a very beautifully well-made film. The animation is absolutely superb. Mm, I think it says... All the structural qualities that yes. create emotional output. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it says a lot of things that are very poignant. And actually, I did well up when I was reading about the story that inspired it. And we'll talk you about did. that in a little bit. Mm. I did a little bit. But we'll talk there about... There we go. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> there we go, people. The Darren didn't, to our didn't cry about the film, but he cried about the story that inspired the film. Which, by the way, should maybe prepare you for the story that inspired oh, the I film. Can imagine. But um, what I will say is that I did feel a little manipulated watching it in the same way that you do in any story. And Marianne alluded to this at the very start when yeah, she was well, like, "Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was very angry." Yeah, <laughs> you put a child in this but film. Dead kids is like the ultimate emotional mm. shortcut. It's like a dead dog. Yeah. If you've got a dead kid walking a dead dog, you're like, boom, sold. Yeah, can like, you imagine if they had given her a dog at some but, point, or she had a dog? Yeah, it's like like Wonder is I the mean, film with Jacob Tremblay that's out at the moment, and it's this kid with a physical disability. And it's very affecting, but I'm like, what? Would it be as affecting if yeah. it was the no, fact that what's going you, on with him? You can you can have a dead kid in a movie and it be uh, like not affecting at all. Like, we just so, saw Henry's book. Yeah, <laughs> book, of Henry. Henry. book of Henry. Yeah, yeah. book of Henry. There's a great example of how you botch a dead kid in a film. They say you botch a, a a job that you had for episode nine Star Wars. Yeah, that's a fair point as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm wary. And then this is maybe ties back to what Andrew's talked about, where, like myself and, and other film people, where you watch so many films you that you get to... too many. Yeah, you get to know... Even the the trench is too long. The cliches and the yeah. beats. And you understand that, like, this is being done in a way that is... 
like all films are emotional manipulation. All films, like the the, the whole point of cinema is that it's an empathy machine. Mm-hmm. It's a window into another person's life. It's to get you to invest emotionally rather than intellectually uh, in something, yeah. right? And that's why films like Moonlight are so affecting, and you know that sort of stuff. And and like and often, often, it seems like oftentimes when we criticize movies, we criticize movies for the reasons that they work. Yeah. Like, sure. like, yeah. like we we say like oh it's too formulaic it's like how they, they, it's the for- formula that that's that works that works yeah. yeah it's like um, if you take away the formula you would just have a bunch of stuff that happens yeah um, and it wouldn't make sense of the story it's like you take away like grave of the fireflies without the dead kids wouldn't be grave of the fireflies it wouldn't have any emotional impact sure and I think I mean you've phrased this a lot better than I managed to earlier which was just saying that I was angry and I couldn't figure out why but yeah it is absolutely like dead children is a shortcut to oh yeah like right in the field Fields. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's also coming at this like obviously this was 1988 we are like a post Pixar generation where that formula particularly animated movies for like oh tugging the heartstrings is very familiar certainly to me at this point Um, I think so maybe it does not benefit from that comparison at this point that like I think it does I think think, think in terms of like emotional power I think it holds up to say the opening scene of Up which is one of the most affecting can you then not critique that because it's emotionally manipulating you but it is, but it gets it out of the way really quickly. Like, the thing with Up is, like, pulling off a band-aid. It's like, mm. here's an entire life lived in the space of ten, ten minutes, minutes yeah. where she doesn't die twice. She, sure. They don't tell you that she's dead at the start and have you watch her die at the end. So like, is Inside Out manipulative? In that sense. Well, I didn't really cry that much in Inside Out, I apart from uh, yeah, where Bing Bong. Where Bing Bong. That's the one I'm talking so about. Bing Bong. Spoiler zone is for all movies. For all movies <laughs> for ever. All movies. all movies are equal in the spoiler zone. My point is not that it has less emotional impact, more that we are just more tuned to the beats oh, okay. yeah. that are yeah. leading up to that. But like, if it had been two adults trying to survive, and basically it's just they're just kind of isolated from everyone they know, would that have been less... So, I would have, I would have, like, this is the thing about, like, emotional manipulation, right? Because it, it, Andrew's right when he says that we criticize movies for doing the things that make them work. And it, he's entirely correct here, right? Because all movies are about emotional manipulation. And it's more about whether or not you notice it. That's, that's the issue. Mm-hmm. And whether you notice it is always going to be, like, subjective, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, people I know will argue that Spielberg's emotional manipulations are incredibly transparent. And yeah. many of them are. But they work reasonably well for me for reasons that I can't always articulate clearly. Like, I understand that they're coming, but there's something in the execution of them yeah, that sort of... Yeah, how they do it. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's subjective and highly personal. So I feel like when I say, like, Grave of the Fireflies felt manipulative opening with the dead children that it was always going to circle back to, it's very hard for me to clearly articulate, like, why this case works like that and other cases don't I feel feel like I can I can articulate maybe some or at least one of the instances where where the manner in which it manipulated me was 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 very effectively done as it as in there 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 was a moment where um Satsuku and Saita had 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 um had the fireflies in the in the tent with them, and in yeah. the morning they're they're all, they're all dead. dead. Setsuko is burying them, and he, uh, and and she says something along the lines yes. of "we're burying them like they uh, buried mother." 
and yeah. you see this shot of the of the body just being thrown in mm. a in, in, a, in a heap, and I, I like it, it. It like punched me. I I literally yeah. had that, like that effective. Like, that was no, that was that was dramatic, and, that, hair, and like, that worked for me reasonably well yeah. as well. Because and I think it worked so well because it came almost out of left field, as opposed to the death of the children, where you know it's coming the entire movie, and so Darren and his cold emotional heart can build a wall <laughs> to insulate himself from feeling like. You know the mother's dead at this point, but you don't know that the aunt has told uh, the children about told. Yeah, you don't know when she actually tells. Yeah. That's so, the... so you don't find that out until afterwards, and it's done so casually. It's done like a offhand. It's like, oh, by the way, it's not that I know, and I, it's not that I realize, and I'm having a breakdown. It's that you've been trying to keep me safe and to protect me from this, and I've known all along, mm. and and it just. It hammers that 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 hit me quite hard. That was one of the big emotional punches of the movie for me, and I feel like the fact that it was underplayed in some senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, was, it wasn't. There was she doesn't even look at him. And, she's saying it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's one of the big. Like, I mean, that, I think that's the first time Satan really breaks down yeah. and just cries. I mean, the situation has been so unrelentingly awful, but realizing that he's failed to protect his sister in that yeah. way, From reality, it is almost. just. Like, I mean, and it's what I was saying about, like, his whole world has become about protecting this little person. And I think that moment is also extremely effective because we've spent quite a lot of time in this, like, sort of, like you said, Huckleberry Finn style campsite with the fireflies and and the swing. And it feels like a game. And then it's like charred corpse being tossed into a heap of bodies. This is the reality. You know, this is... And suddenly you're not like this lovely imagery can't insulate you from this is the horror, this is the reality of it. No, I mean, that's brilliant. And then you see as the film progresses, Setsuko's body deterioration is horrific it's, it's also very well done because you see her you see the itch in you like the rash like when they see the rash the yeah a little bit and then you see her scratching in several shots and then you yeah. get to see it grow and then like, you see a time skip and she's like dishev- clothes disheveled and then well, one of the things moves to the hospital and she's gaunt and one, it's just horrible one of the things I think Takahati said about doing this animation is one of the this has been adapted several times. In fact, it's been adapted into live action in 2004 and 2008 wow. uh, for a Japanese uh, television movie and then as a Japanese theatrical release. And interestingly, the 2004 version of the film is actually from the perspective of the aunt's daughter, who you barely see in this version oh. as well. And the aunt apparently comes across as a much more sympathetic and it's much more of a like, this is what war does to people. It turns them hard and it makes them uncaring mm. and stuff. I thought, but like, I thought there was elements of sympathy in this movie for the aunt's character. I, I, I find, well, you see I her find, scrubbing and working and stuff like. And it, you, you you do see a sense of that 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 she's saying to her husband. Um, well, the lodger, the lodger, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay, that that um, I I do beg your pardon. Uh, that uh, <laughs> um, her lover. Um, uh, that, that, what about the cook? <laughs> um, that 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 the boy is kind of done this despite me, and it feels yeah, it when feels he buys like, the yeah. So it, fe- it feels like she's trying to kind of like. Um, approach him with some sort of discipline or or, or she, like 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 she's trying um in some ways to, yeah, yeah. To... Well, i mean there's the scene where they come back from the beach and she's scrubbing the pans like and she's talking about how he he won't even do the washing up mm. uh, because it seems like he's beneath him and you're like this is yeah like you, you can understand from her perspective why he would not be a great tenant mm. um and i mean he's a child i mean but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I feel like they, not it, to jump on the nurse ratchet train. And yeah, yes, yes. but it, but yeah, it, I, I, I thought there was a certain amount of sympathy for her. There is a thing where, like, and I don't know if I'm just generalizing, but that's 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 the age. If he is twelve, 
that is the age where children start to really learn how to take care of themselves and take care of the household with their family as a unit. Like to learn to learn how to take care of yourself as you're growing older. You clean. You um, there's a there's a respect that you have to give for when you um, clear up your clothes, all that kind of stuff. And Seiza doesn't really do any that do any of that. Like it's seen yeah, and especially in wartime. And he never. I mean, and I do appreciate that there's never really a solid excuse given for why no. he isn't contributing. And I think in the flashes you get of. Um, their past you know with the family it, it's quite clear that he's from a very privileged very background yeah. so running along in the in the family picture and doing the salute like his father and like mm. you get a sense that even some of the stuff about cherry yeah. blossoms with his mom like yeah. found them as they're eating very decadent but, food but even the, the fact that yeah there's a sense that he doesn't do this because he sees it as beneath him I think Marianne is sort of getting up mm. there well yeah I mean it's never explicitly stated but I mean it's even just a sort of thoughtlessness you know where he leaves these dishes in the sink without any thought of who's going to clean them up um yeah, I mean, I don't think the, I mean, yeah, I think when I was younger watching it, I also certainly had the interpretation of like, if only their aunt wasn't so mean, all this could have been avoided. But yeah. it is cert- like certainly more a commentary of, you know, war not only changes people, but changes expectations and yeah. changes how you have to live. So, Well, just when we talk about the rash, uh, that sort of got me thinking about what I was reading with Takahati. When he was asked about why he did this in animation, beyond the fact that he's an animator and he wanted to adapt it and therefore animation would be the best thing to do, he said that, like, one of the things was that you could portray a starving child much more convincingly in animation in that, like, you don't have the effect of, like, you can't... You obviously can't starve a four-year-old actor uh, for a role, whereas you can animate a child like that. And there's even, like, an argument... They really want the role. (laughs) (laughs) Full method. Um, But there is a sense that... And I mean, even... I think even here or somebody else, somebody else who's reading, commented on the fact that, like, even if this was a live-action adaptation, like, you would see the child actors again in other things. And that would sort of, like... When you're watching this, yeah. this is the last time that you will see these two characters. This is, like, the only time that you will see these two people. Whereas you don't have that with a live-action adaptation. No. So, like, it is... Like, if you're telling a story about two kids who are dying, the max, the most efficient way to tell that story is through animation. Absolutely. Yeah, because you soon, you soon lose... Sorry, I feel like Marine Grace... I, I agree, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of... It's like... That's true, but grim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's right. I mean, it's, it's a good day for it, you know. Burying your, burying your little sister, it's a good day. Yeah, that it's was one day. of the... That was. I was really glad when other people laughed at that remark. <laughs> I was worried that would be like... Because there's a moment where... Uh, when Sata's, when Sata's going to bury his dead sister, oh. to be clear, uh, to cremate her and to take care of the remains, he goes and he buys a little cremation box and he's told to... Uh, What's it? He's buried at a, at a temple. Yeah, but this child has to, to, she has to be buried at the temple. Yep, yeah, and you use beanstalks for a good fire. Mm. And then the guy selling in the box looks around, <laughs> looks up in the sky with a smile on his face, and says, "In spite of it all, it's a lovely day." Great drying. Yeah, great day. Great day yeah, for great. It. And um, he does say at this point there was a tsunami like before this, so yeah. maybe he meant. At least you don't have a tsunami to worry they, about. They do that a couple of times in the movie because after, after his <laughs> Are you children, after, no, uh, no uh, after his mother has been firebombed um, and their house is being destroyed. Not his mother right? specifically. The entire town, to be clear. <laughs> no, it wasn't just all her. It's a special plane, like. Uh, but the um, 
No, when 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 um, when my mother was firebombed. When uh, yeah, when, when grave they, of my firebombed they, mother. They have like a flame war against his mother, and they, they, um, But after that, um, I'm going to talk about other people who are insensitive. <laughs> there's all of the there's all of the people in uh, in in the village. Like at least we're not dead, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, isn't that great? And it's the the worst thing during like these moments. It's these like. positive kind of um, optimists Uh, like just kind of like with their annoying um, (laughs) comments could be worse could be worse it's a nice day after all I would say that's misplaced denial I would say that's from them going you know what we're still here clearly they haven't beaten us Japan is still strong I would say that's them going you know what we didn't die they couldn't beat us I I would say that's misplaced that's very strong denial and that's something that kind of permeates throughout the entire film I don't it's more that I mean, when you're in such extreme situations, you are genuinely happy yeah. when you're you not know, dead. And you see that those humor. You see those moments, like, and you, they are paced throughout the film that you see a lot of points where Setsuko noti- notices like a mother and child, and they're like going home together, or um, there's a reunion at the, I think they pass a train station, yeah. Yeah, and it's an older daughter, daughter, and it's like, oh, I'm so glad you're okay, and it's, I mean, again, it's like all part of the texture of this incredibly heartbreaking film is that yeah. there are still like moments of joy and hope happening even in these awful circumstances but they're not accessible to our two main characters yeah. who are com- kind of completely isolated yeah. and, and, and I think I think part of it for the audience is kind of like oh the, the, there is still kind of like some uh, beauty or hope in this world but I think some of some of the other moments for me it, it, it felt like it was the kind of um, for, for frustrating moments of of levity for people who are in grief yeah when, when, when everybody else seems to be happy yeah yeah, yeah. but it would and uh, so there, there was there was um there, there was definitely like for me anyway there was there was there was some of both but i felt like yeah that, that it was something that they uh, portrayed well let's talk a little bit about akiaki nosaki nosaka that is not how you pronounce his name uh, Akiyoki Nosaka, who wrote the uh, the novella Grave of the Fireflies, upon which this is based. Um, so this is the part where I welled up, right? Which is, this is inspired by his own experiences of the Second World War as a child with his sister. Oh, God. And, uh, so I'll, I'll just read from his account. He's described the work as semi-autobiographical. My sister's death is an exact match with the novel. It was one week after the end of the war. At the countryside of uh, Fukiai Prefecture, where I was, it was the day the restrictions on lighting were removed. It must have been the 22nd. It was evening, and I was picking up my sister's bones. I was coming home in a daze when I saw the village lit up. There was nothing like my surprise then. My sister died in my side of the world, and the light was coming back in the other. Honestly speaking, there was also relief that she died and my burden was gone. No one would wake me up in the night like she did with her crying, and I wouldn't have to wander around with a child on my back anymore. I'm very sorry to say this about my sister, but I did have those feelings too. That's why I haven't gone back to my novel to reread it since, since I hate that. It's so hypocritical. It must be absolutely true that Sata must have thought of his sister as a burden too. He must have thought that he would have escaped better if it weren't for her. There are many things that I just couldn't get myself to write into the story. 
During composition, the older brother got increasingly transformed into a better human being. I was trying to compensate for everything I couldn't do myself. I always thought I wanted to perform these generous acts in my head, but I couldn't do so. I always thought I wouldn't eat and would give food to my little sister, but when I actually had the piece of food in my hand, I was hungry after all, so I'd eat it. And there was nothing like the deliciousness of eating in a situation like that. And the pain that followed was just as big. I think there is no one more hopeless in the world than me. I didn't put anything about that in the novel. And he's talked about how he wrote the novel in which obviously the older brother character, which is inspired by himself, passes away um, as a Shinju text, which is a double suicide. It's a literary tradition in Japan with books and plays that traces back to the Edo period in which the audience is informed that both protagonists will die at the end of the play and therefore the tragedy isn't building to their deaths. But uh, Nosaka's talked about how Grave of the Fireflies is about his guilt for surviving. And that's largely why he wrote the ending that he did where the brother doesn't survive because he felt so guilty about the loss of his own uh, sister. And that made me well up a little bit. Um, that's that's what got me about the, the film. Um, yeah, that's completely yeah, devastating. Yeah, worse. Um, Christ, <laughs> That is... Horrendous. Yeah, so that is that is what inspired uh, the the novel that he wrote, uh, which is uh, astounding, and it was all based on his own memories of having lived through the the firebombing. And in fact, actually, um, Takahata, who who directed it and who adapted it for screen, he um, also lived through the firebombing in in Okiami uh, Prefecture, and he actually he noted that um, one of the things that he paid particular attention to when directing those uh, sequences was the sound that the bombs made as they dropped because mm. in a lot of films, uh, particularly live action films, the sound the bombs make as they drop um, doesn't... It's a, it's a whizzing sound mm. as opposed to like a hissing sound. And he, he worked very hard to get that sound right, to recreate his own experience as a child, like living uh, through that. Uh, which is, is notably different to every other form mm. of bombing you've heard in every other Yeah, and, and particularly the way that they don't explode when they land as yeah. well. There's a very, especially the first sequence, the first time you see the bombs dropping, there's a strange silence yeah. to it. Like, yeah. you say, like, like Sato, look, Sato looks around and goes, did, did it not go off? Yeah. Like, and then he runs. I guess these are incendiary bombs, presumably. It's, it's like they yeah, did the, the, the same in, in Dresden. Yeah. Where they're, they're like... Um, just destroying kind of entire cities. And it is. Well, it was designed to, to force the, the Japanese surrender. I think that the attacks upon which there's a base, because obviously it, it's, a, it's a novel that's based on the childhood memories, and the setting uh, is, is real as well. I believe there are 8,000 people killed and somewhere in the region of like 150,000 rendered homeless as a result of these strikes. Um, and it is it is harrowing just to think about that, to, like, mm. to have a sense of the scale of devastation kind of wrought as part of that. Sorry, I've really... Um... I'm glad we got to make jokes before that yeah. reading. Um, <laughs> but now is, I, I have a question and I don't want to change the mood that much. Elise, Elise is mild. Uh, it's a fierce mild day. It's a lovely it's a day. day. <laughs> In spite of it all, it's a lovely yeah. day. It's, it's really, actually really, raining. Really hot. <laughs> oh, it's raining. The last few can, can I ask, Darren, you say that there was merchandise time with this film. Oh, no. Can I guess what I am... Go- can I guess what it is? 
Okay, I feel like this is a nice segue, so oh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go with that. Um, is it is it the is it the fruit? Is yes, the fruit I knew it was the fruit drop. It was drops. definitely like the the most kind of exciting. It was like um, it felt She's like those goals. It felt like fruit drops in this movie. Where, where <laughs> the fruit drop lobby had been yeah, sort of involved it, in the conception. It, well, it, it, they, it felt like. Um, that movie jingle all the way when they're talking, <laughs> when they're talking what, about turbo the, the turbo man oh there it's they like, are she would get just as excited oh about the fruit drops yeah um, that, now that's emotional and manipulation so, so for viewers it's a picture of the for viewers <laughs> for our viewers i'm very good at podcasting well, well um, she, she for, is speaking to our viewers so, for listeners it is a fruit drop tin of a similar shape and design color. and like to layout to the one in the movie except that Setsuko is like on the front oh, of it God, no, holding a fruit drop tin I, herself yeah, so I it's quite like meta that, no, she's, is... she's holding the fruit drop tin looking into it for the last fruit drop as so, well as oh, if, we'll just put it up on the screen if you look that? at your phones now <laughs> what yeah. is that marketing campaign it's like if you are also starving try a fruit drop <laughs> hey, do, you, do you want to try to get that last fruit drop and it's not there well here's pour some water in and guess what it's now a fruit drink oh, have you seen the heavily dear. heavily yeah. edited advertisement for this <laughs> movie Grave and the Firefly oh, you might also like these sweets just don't watch the movie don't watch the movie well I mean like they're just showing the bits where she's like enjoy her chops she's like I'm gonna go buy you some fruit chops I'll them at the concession stand after I watch this harrowing film yeah it's got that very sort of uh, yeah you can sort of imagine like the shining recut as a romantic comedy can you imagine like coming out of that double bill and you just see those at the concession stand and you're like oh god flashbacks and it's just, <laughs> or people just going yay well I mean like and it's interesting that they should do this because reportedly um, and understandably like Grave of the Fireflies is correctly seen as like an institution that is very serious and very worthy of like respect and like should be treated with respect yeah. So it's very strange to see like yeah. tie-in fruit chop tins. It's as weird as the Batman Returns McDonald's Happy Meal toys. I feel like this is maybe a worse case than no, the Batman yeah. Returns. I feel like, um, but there's... Ba- Batman Returns might have meant a lot to you. <laughs> no, it did not. No, it did not. <laughs> that was a scary film. That was a scary film. Um, <laughs> Marshall the Penguins, eh? But oh. um, yeah, Batman also you might say had like some foothold in pop culture prior to that film with the scary, with the scary ass um yeah. Daniel, you know penguin I toy I feel like Whoa. the penguin didn't get to like carry out his firebombing of Gotham though is the crucial difference here. he did not um, I, but I there was I've said on the podcast before one of the best movies uh, movies moments and movies was um, <laughs> was uh, Michael Keaton like kind of flying down the, oh, the kind of yeah, in the boat and then he, he, he kind of sees something coming and makes it like a swift turn and he's looking back like was that a penguin or a rocket <laughs> That is one of the best moments. Like, he turns and is just like, yeah, that's my day. That's, yeah, not coming back for the third Batman film. Um, but yeah, well, that's, like, to give an example of how, like, respected and how sort of, like, treated as, like, a hallowed institution Grave of the Fireflies is, um, in December 2016, a TUI company made a Twitter post which read, Why did Kiriara have to die so soon to promote an episode of Cayman Rider X8? Um, and apparently... Uh, yeah, it was it was seen as referencing a line from Fireflies. Why do fireflies die so soon? 
and considered to be in very poor taste. Yeah, because Cayman Rider, I believe he's... Unlike he's fruit fashioned... drops, which are fantastic yeah. tasting. Because <laughs> Cayman Rider, I believe, is fashioned the way he looks. He looks he's a power, he's basically like a Power Ranger style superhero. Uh, is fashioned after Dragonfly. Ah. Like he looks like he looks like Firefly. Ah, okay, firefly, so that too. makes sense. He looks you... like a he looks like a Firefly, but it's armor. So that was actually very clever word. It's clever, but it just is also tasteless. important taste. It's very yeah. tasteless. It still doesn't make any sense to me. Nor do I want to explain. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say this is a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take my leave. <laughs> no, 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 stay around. All right. <laughs> is there anything else the guards? We still, to... have, we still have Totoro to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Totoro. Yeah. Totoro. Um, I can't wait for us all to put different stresses on Totoro <laughs> while we speak about it. Yeah. <laughs> many of us putting like the same commentators yeah, putting different stresses. It is interesting how already the mood has lightened. As we know, we are going to see Totoro soon. That's the idea. <laughs> and so can you. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're watching this as part of a, a double bill to commemorate we're, the 25th anniversary. Um, so we'll be. 30th, sorry, 30th anniversary. Um, is there anything else anyone wants to say about Grave of the Fireflies before we jump into my neighbor, uh, Totoro? Devastating. Was it like the, the, it's mo- of the day. Mo- 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 most of what I took from it? You know that. Um, but but there, there, was, there was also like um, a great kind of like visual beauty and, and stunningly sim- animated. Like, simplicity as well. It was, it was quite kind of. Um, there, um, there was a lot of it was very kind of like austere or stark and. Um, I thought I I I found the music was quite good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I yeah. I I I suppose I wouldn't have too much to add over that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I f- uh, uh, glad I saw it again. Actually, mm-hmm. um, did did enjoy this rewatch more. I keep saying enjoy. Um, <laughs> did appreciate this rewatch more than I thought I would. I also feel we didn't actually talk about the visuals much because I sometimes feel with Ghibli and Ghibli adjacent products, yeah. it almost, it sort of becomes so, re- it, it's not redundant, because, but like you just get used it to be it. You just get used to enjoying a certain quality yeah, yeah, of yeah. absolutely stunning visuals. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah. <laughs> what we do, let's, let's talk very briefly about this, because Takahata is basically the other founding father of, of Ghibli. And his animation style tends to be, and it's worth noting that he also directed uh, Pompoko, which we have, <laughs> we have taken Such to, a film. So to we have next Mar- year's we, anime after We have Mar- take- Marianne's uh, fist is, is, is shaking. It's pumping, in, pumping in, in the air. In, in Pompoko to like die. I think, we should, I think we should all get sick the audience, and watch it. The audience we have here can see it. Um, but, uh, Not so, the people in the back though. Yeah, yeah. some of the people in the balcony. Yeah, um, but um, like, cause, and this will, listeners you, you who, can, who didn't you, even listen to your name. If you pay will, for your subscription, you could get to see uh, you <laughs> Three tickets each year. But um, <laughs> listeners who, who didn't even listen to the Your Name podcast with Marianne on it last year will be familiar with Tom Poco as the bouncing raccoon scrotum movie that myself and Andrew have it's casually so dropped into conversation. It's completely it's accurate. It's so weird that he went from this to that. I don't think it is. I think you could, <laughs> I think we could draw a really clear line. I can't wait to see art, how we draw that artistic, line. Uh, artistic. Artistic. There are three other films that he did and he's mostly known as a sort of a director and this is why Pompoko sort of stands out and his last <laughs> film stands out. It's because he's seen as sort of like a Social commentary animation director. He yes. does like a lot of well, mature. Is, uh, from what I've heard of it, is oh, it's a, aside from being ridiculous, is also 
commentary. Oh, heavy-handed. Heavy-handed. Yeah. Heavy yeah. so but, like, I mean, you're talking about, like, Only Yesterday, which is a story oh, about right. nostalgia and reflection. And even, like, uh, My neighbor, my Neighbor's the Yamadas, for example. That's a great film. I really yeah. enjoy that. And it's such a, to me, it's such a departure from what goes on in Ghibli. Like, when you but, see yeah. it's such departure. But like, is, is it closer to this than what you would think about when you think about Maizaki? As I haven't seen this now. But mm, my, I, I'm not great with, like, comparison, comparisons. No, I mean, I, I mean, think, I think um, My Neighbours the Amadas is, I mean, it's overlooked because the visual style is such a departure from, so like, from what you would normally expect of Ghibli. But... But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> years and years of, what are, are we calling it? Animepro? Animepro. 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 ahead of us, you know. Yeah, the, the annual Animepro. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult, guys. I'm not going to be saying it. <laughs> this thing that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the yeah, Cosa yeah. Nostra. Triple A. <laughs> this the thing of ours. Yes. It's called Triple A. The yeah. annual Anime April. Triple A, I feel, maybe copyright and have other associations. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, so no, um, it is, though, it it is visually stunning. Like, the animation mm-hmm. is, is astoundingly good. And it holds up, like, as something from 1998, we watched it on DVD because I decided that we were doing this yesterday and therefore couldn't get a Blu-ray copy of it, uh, as opposed to... I think I have a Blu-ray copy. Oh, okay. Well, well as it's opposed... It's a shame, it's a shame, because, I, like I said, I bought a lot of these... <laughs> An hour I, and a half in. Yeah. <laughs> we can go back. Who wants to go back into this world? Uh, but me. I was going to say, even watching it on DVD, it looks great. It yeah. looks something like the fire, the, the glowing of the fireflies. Even stuff like the animation of dark scenes, for example, like the bit where the fireflies stop glowing, but you can see the creature crawling in the darkness, which is mm. like, it's astounding mm. how much care went into this. There is a way in which... Um, uh, at at times, uh, Saita, the way he's portrayed when he's coming back from having stolen all the clothes during the yeah, uh, during the, the bombing, raids, yeah. where he's he's made to look kind of like um, uh, uh, like 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 a villain because in in the in the in the kind of um, typical kind of like shorthand way, like the the kind of. Uh, fat laughing kind of no but like in like as as objectionable as that sort of, yeah, no, kind no, of shorthand yeah. is yeah. and uh, it's more like um, are, are, are there times when he's kind of um, like oh it's like backlit or something yeah or, yeah. No, like it's very, very beautifully animated, and I yeah. feel like it is. It is absolutely stunning. I feel like yeah, some of the, it is somewhat overshadowed by the fact that Miyazaki's Ghibli work is just like kaleidoscopic. I'd be interested to see now what you guys think because you talked about it um, when Miyazaki does his turn on World War Two in The Wind Rises. We'll probably talk about, about that the guy one. who created the created the Zero Fighter. Yes. Well, I mean, we might talk about that when we talk about uh, Totoro because mm. like. As part of this, this was released as a double feature in 1988. In 2013, it was decided that Maizaki and, and uh, Takahoto would go back and do um, another. another double bill, right? But what they would do is they would swap places. So instead of Maizaki doing the fantastical, sort of lighthearted, uh, uplifting film and, and Takahoto doing the, um, the World War II film, um, they would basically swap places so Maizaki would do the World War II film and, yeah. and Takahata would and do the that's uh, the Wind Rises and the Princess, Princess Takeyua yes that's it exactly so they sort of swap places now they didn't get to release that as a double bill because no. I believe Princess ran behind um, it yeah. ran so it, it was much delayed in getting there but it's kind of interesting to see them swap places and, and how those go because I mean these two films that we're talking about are on the 250 they are like regarded as the best films that Ghibli's done 
Um, the other two films are not. Now, Princess is not on there because it doesn't have enough votes. Um, it is 300 votes shy, so we may be doing it this just in with you guys if you're interested at some point in the future. I've never um, seen it myself. No, I, still, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it either. Yeah, really. and I've got it on TV and everything because I'm, compl- I'm a completionist in that sense. So you I haven't watched it yet? I just haven't watched it. It is literally uh, right underneath my TV right now. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Could be your watches and the subsequent tweeting. That, that just push it in. <laughs> yeah. If this I had the power to make 300 people vote that in, it'd be amazing. It is. like yeah. have some IMDb influencers. Here. Yeah. <laughs> just so we're clear on this. Um, and then obviously uh, The Wind Rises didn't play, although that is much more successful. I mm. wasn't a huge fan of The Wind Rises. It's a yeah. very... I, I don't know how I felt about it when I saw it. I, I still don't know. I need to see it a second time, I think. Okay. Um, with that in mind, then we will jump into My Neighbor Totoro. Um, you can join us next week when we'll be discussing the other half of our, our film, Double Bill. But in the meantime, if listeners need a bit more Marianne and a bit more Graham in their lives... Uh, where... say that. Okay. If listeners would like some social media access to Graham and Marianne, where could they get that? You go first. <laughs> All right. Uh, good passing Sorry. of the book, Graham. Sorry. <laughs> I panicked. <laughs> I panicked. Watch the hot potato land. <laughs> um, if you would like to find me on pretty much any of the social medias, I am Tiny Orc. As in an orc that is really small. Not a far away orc. <laughs> tiny orc. Tiny orc. <laughs> far away orc was taken. Uh, you can find you can find Darren on Dem Zero Vi blog. And, uh, uh, Dara and underscore Mooney. Yeah, that's um, it exactly. But, you can find Andrew Quinn at A Q U I N N I U Q A with a quizzical look on his Twitter picture. And you can find Graham absolutely yeah. everywhere. Um, Graham. <laughs> Graham is now stop me buzz me if I get this wrong alright uh, so Graham writes reviews for Scanon yeah and I'm about <laughs> to beat Philip with the number of, contrib- of contributions I've made I can't wait and you've, you've already you have to battle him now <laughs> yeah, yeah I totally do I can't wait you've, you've already yeah you, you may have hopscotched him in terms of being our most recurring guest yeah, you said that last time I was here. Yeah, I feel like we need to sit the two of you down together and just have it out. We haven't had one where him and I are... But, oh, wait, no, that's not true. We had the anniversary special. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've never seen Philip and Graham in the same place at the same time. Yeah, so Graham writes at Scan On. Um, Philip likes La La Land as well. You could have a fight over that. <laughs> yeah. We kind of did. When I was the first person to say I'd take, the, take La La Land off the 250. And it was so and great. seven other people it followed me. It was so me. great because you were so indifferent about it. Yeah. Like... Maybe I'd take Lala. I mean, I mean, it's okay, but I don't think it's 250 worthy. Really. And then as it went on, it progressively got worse to the point where it went to Marion saying, I love musicals. I hate this film. Well, they were all trying to stop you from being prosecuted for murdering La La La. If, if everyone stabs it uh, at the same time, like, it, it, it's, uh, it's, no it was hand. real Brutus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that Graham is the podcast Brutus. It's like, the oh, nicest think, man in Rome who I we think, also want to stab La La La. I think it was Babu at the, uh, on the night. Was, was oh, the he process. was the last one. Yeah, he was yeah. so just like so. Yeah, La La Land. He just came in and spat on the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> just kicked it to make sure. He was the guy who was like, hey, there are gumdrops in this container. Oh. But uh, anyway, so we can find Graham at Scanon, uh, yep. a podcast at Speaking Geek. Mm-hmm. Um, he also uh, interviews guests. You can see that on Scanon, also uh, at Movies.io. Movies. Oh, well. yeah, that's right. That's a new one. Follow him at uh, Graham Geek Era. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have Game Air, the video game website. Which which is a I great run. title. 
<laughs> it is a great web. Uh, it is a great title. Thank you, Nile Murphy, <laughs> the founder of Scanon. There is a contract where you have to thank him each day. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Every time. Because <laughs> if you don't, he'll have your legs broke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he'll add that to his height. <laughs> that's, that's why he's so tall. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Is is like uh, just um, and we're taking away your 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 title and giving it back to Phil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright then, so we're going to watch My Neighbor Totoro. We'll be back uh, next week. Take it easy, guys. Bye. 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 Perfect.